0: hey listeners this is andy before we start i wanted to give a quick note that most of this episode is about the earned income tax credit which is super important and a very important detail that we forgot to mention while recording is that for oklahomans the deadline to file your taxes has been extended this year due to the big freeze winter storm we had earlier this spring instead of april 15th which is the normal tax day The deadline for Oklahomans has been pushed back two months to June 15th, so you have a little more time to get your stuff together and to file your taxes. Of course, you can go ahead and file now if you're ready, Um, and don't forget to claim the earned income tax credit if you're eligible. The eligibility guidelines are basically anyone with an income of $57,000 a year or less, uh, and the amount of benefit you receive from the state and federal EITC is based on your income and the number of dependents you might have. If you're not eligible, please tell your friends. Just make sure people know about this. 20% of people who are eligible don't claim it. That is literally thousands of dollars per person, millions of dollars um, statewide that is left on the table, left in Washington that should be returned right here into Oklahoman's pockets who need it, who can spend it. Okay, on that note, enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to Let's Pod This. My name is Andy Moore. It is a beautiful Friday afternoon in the Friday in the Big Town. That's what it is. As I record, I'm watching my neighbor in a ladder with a pole saw, I think a pole chainsaw, He's wearing a bicycle helmet and cutting down limbs that are easily 30 feet in the air. If at any point during the episode today I scream or laugh, it is because Bart has fallen out of the tree.
1: But is he that... doesn't have the leaf blower, right?
0: No, different neighbor. This is on the other side of those neighbors.
2: This is not karaoke neighbor.
0: No, but his uh, his shed is open. I can see here from the uh, the bird's nest where I record, and I so there's a chance that we we may be approaching leaf blower season for my neighbors. Let's hope not.
1: Well, Andy. Speaking of seasons, it's about that time of the year where we experience all the seasons at one point. I just can't believe that a couple of days ago, we were talking about tornado warnings in Mountain View and Godibo and then a few other places around the state. So,
0: and then blizzard warnings too. It was a it was a wild twenty four hours in Oklahoma weather, which is always fun. I like this time of year. It's exciting. keeps me keeps me guessing.
2: When they well, said the Ides of March, were they referring to Oklahoma in the springtime, or no? <laughs> very possibly,
0: very possibly. Certainly not the, the very different from the weather in Ireland, right? So, uh, well, those voices you hear, of course, are Scott Melson. Hello, sir.
2: What is up, man? Nothing.
0: My neighbor is up in a tree. That's what's up. Uh, and Bailey Perkins. Hello.
1: Hey, friends.
0: Also joining us today is special guest extraordinaire Paul Shin from Oklahoma Policy Institute. Hello, Paul. Hi everyone, how are you? We are great. Listeners are also great. I I will answer on behalf of them. (laughs) Thanks listeners, thanks for being here. Hey, I have two uh, quick updates before we get started. Um, One is for listeners in the Edmond area, in Edmond, Oklahoma. Uh, Next Wednesday, March 24th, Nondoc is hosting a mayoral debate I think they called it the mayoral match or something along those lines, uh, the mayoral debate. It will be streamed on news9.com and uh, also on both the non-doc and the News 9 Facebook pages. If you're interested in uh, who's running for mayor, the, the incumbent is not running for re-election. Uh, and so it's an open seat. So you have got a couple of folks here. From what I hear, it's been a doozy of a campaign. Rather, rather exciting. So uh, just know that's out there. And then because I get these emails every week, it made me think, I've never mentioned this before, but there's a a nationwide organization called uh, called BISC, B-I-S-C, and it stands for the um, Ballot Initiative Strategy Center um, is what it stands for. But if you are someone who is, yeah, Ballot Initiative Strategy Center. So if you're someone who is interested in ballot initiatives, they really like kind of serve as a hub for ballot initiatives around the country. And they talk about them and what's happening. So like I got an update today, their I think weekly newsletter of notable ballot campaigns around the country. Not every state has the initiative petition process, um, but it's really interesting. For example, today I learned that the state of Michigan is proposing, they announced this week, a ballot initiative to make their state legislature and their governor subject to the Open Records Act, they are one of a few states where neither the legislative nor the executive branches are subject to open records. Hey, Andy, um, is Oklahoma one of those states? Well, so yes and no. I, the the executive branch, the governor's office, is subject to it, but
2: the legislature is not. Follow up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, uh,
0: yeah. The gentleman from Oklahoma City, yes. Yeah.
2: So, uh, so, so when when someone, I don't know, from the press requests records from the governor's office, do they typically respond in a timely and efficient manner?
0: Well, no, Scott. Of course not. Oh. Uh,
2: so in so in effect, are they actually subject to the Open Records Act or is it more of a window dressing that doesn't actually provide useful information to their constituents until years after the request has been made?
0: Well, I, um, in practice, the latter is true, right? They do tend... And this has been the case for... As many governors as I can remember, they don't fulfill them. Paul is also uh, nodding there, and he remembers more governors than I do. So this is common practice. More importantly, or just as importantly, this happens at every level of government, right? There's a lawsuit in Custer County against the sheriff's department down there because they were slow, slow playing and withholding documents, or I guess technically they were insisting that the requester come pick up the electronic documents in person so they could print them out and they were going to charge him. it was a guy from Marquette University and he, they, it was something that exists electronically and he's like hey can you send me these records and they said no you have to come get them we got to print them out and he was like I'm not going to fly down there to pick up $25 worth of records and they refused to give it to him so if this were like
1: 1980 it would make sense but in 2021 it is yeah. not necessary.
0: right And even back in nineteen eighty, they had fax machines. So I think that uh, there is recourse in a growing intensity that if government entities do not comply with the law, people will sue them. They will lose. They will they will have to comply, and they got to pay legal fees, which should make every Oklahoman mad because that's our tax dollars, right?
2: (laughs) Yes. Uh, I will also uh, uh, give an update to the group that it is 2021 and I work in the medical field and I can tell you much to my chagrin, we still have fax machines.
3: I know it. That's like the only place on the planet that still has faxes. These guys can like fix your heart in 20 minutes and they're using faxes.
2: It, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't have an excuse for it. Uh, hate it. Uh, yeah.
1: It's more (laughs) secure, Scott. It's more secure.
2: (laughs) If anyone
0: has ever seen, a fax machine, you know it is not more secure. Uh,
2: yeah, uh, yeah i I don't know. I don't. I don't have anything else to say about that except that I still use a fax machine every day, and it uh, blows my mind every time.
1: Well, Andy, there's a couple of things I wanted to lift based on what you were saying. Um, one, listeners, it's another reason why it is important to pay attention of what's going on in your legislature and to push back against any efforts to take away your ability or right to participate in the lawmaking process. Because ballot initiatives are the way that we have the ability as citizens to be able to propose legislation and also help provide input through Um, voting on ballot initiatives, right? And so if that is taken away from the people or it's made harder for people to do that, um, then it makes our ability to do things like what Andy was describing, like holding government officials accountable for complying with like Open Records Acts more difficult. So just wanted to lift that as another note of why it's important to pay attention to what's going on in legislatures and to make sure that we're protecting um, that fundamental piece of our democracy as um, a state. Um, But also, I was going to lift, since we were talking about elections, that you have a couple weeks, listeners, to do your research for the April 6th elections from um, the runoffs that we've had for some school board races, some uh, city council races, and other things. And so please take time to figure out what's going to be on your ballot and do your research so you can make a plan to vote on April 6th.
0: Yes, that is exactly right. Thanks, Bailey. Those are both good. Um, If you were, just to go back because I forgot to say it, if you're interested in the Ballot Initiative Strategy Center, their website is ballot.org, which is a hell of a site. That's a good good URL there. Uh, It looks like they actually have some kind of conference thing coming up April 1st and 2nd. I'll check that out later. All right, Scott, let's uh, do a quick update on COVID since uh, that's an important topic.
2: You know, um, it's, it gives me immense joy to say that we are continuing to see positive trends in the COVID situation in Oklahoma. Um, just a few minutes ago, about 45 minutes ago, Dylan Richards uh, from KSEO who does great work uh, following the covid situation here in oklahoma um posted an update our seven our seven day average this week and we're going to end the week with a seven day average of uh like below 450 which is tremendous so we're back to disease levels that we were uh seeing in july of 2020 last year that is still uh <laughs> contrary to popular opinion that's still 450 cases too many um the goal should in fact be not to have any covid cases um whether that's realistic or not um but it's a lot better than the 4,000 COVID cases a day that we were seeing. Not so long ago. Another thing that's really important too is that the positivity rate is declining. So this is the rate of tests that we are administering every day. um, That test that the percentage of those that test positive, um, it's gone below five percent. That's really, really, really good news because it means that this decline in cases we're seeing is likely due to a true decline, not to simply a decline in the frequency of testing. Um, Hospitalizations are down as well, um, which is good. They're not slowing as quite. A brisk clip that they were uh, in january and february or in in february and earlier this month but they are still coming down which is excellent and then this is a big deal we've got a million oklahomans who have gotten at least one dose of a covid vaccine
1: scott so that's- follow up
2: yes 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 ma'am
1: so does that mean i can just go kick it at the bars at full capacity without my mask and hang out with my friends because COVID is over
2: Bailey, that is such a great question. That is, in fact, not what it means. Is okay. <laughs> <laughs> It is, in fact, not what it means. And there has been some confusing messaging about this. So even if you have gotten your vaccine, particularly if you've only gotten one dose, it is important that you continue to follow social distancing protocols, making sure that you're wearing your mask when you're out in public. Um, and the reason for that is because there are several variants of the virus that are circulating in the United States right now. And while we think that the vaccines provide some level of protection against most If not all of these variants, we don't know exactly what that level of protection is. The other thing is we are still seeing a significant level of community spread, which means that we are still at risk of seeing a new novel variant that is less uh, less susceptible to our vaccines that can emerge. Any person who's walking around with COVID is an incubator, right? They're a Petri dish from which the next novel variant could emerge. So you want to protect yourself in that case as well. Um, We are so, guys, we're so close. We're so close. We're like, like people have said for, you know, we said in December uh, or October, whenever it was that we, uh, when we first saw that, uh, that the Moderna vaccine looked like it was going to be really effective, that the Pfizer vaccine was going to be really effective. People were saying, oh, the lights at the end of the tunnel. And it was like, hey, we got, we we got some we got some miles before we start seeing the the light it's maybe a glimmer i think the light really is here um but it's really important that we don't let up let, let let up on the gas right um so stick with it continue being safe my hope is that in i mean i don't know five to six weeks beginning you know late april early may i think we'll see that we're going to be in in, in uh in really good shape, but that's dependent on continuing to vaccinate at the pace we are and that people continue being careful. Now, does this mean that you can't do anything? No, right. The CDC has said that, like, if you want to have an indoor gathering with other people who are fully vaccinated, we we, we think that that appears to be safe, right? The CDC has said that if you have people who are at more risk of the disease and they have been fully vaccinated, um, and you are you're going to be with other people who maybe aren't vaccinated but at lower risk. The example CDC cites is grandparents who want to see their grandkids. That is again probably okay you want to go out and have dinner on a patio with some friends ideally friends who have also been vaccinated i think i think that that's probably okay i'll, I'll i've done that a couple times in the last in the last couple of weeks and it's been delightful and was incredibly good for my mental health <laughs> it's the first time i've done anything like that in a year um so it, it doesn't mean to your point bailey i would not be like i wouldn't say rip your mask off and go to the bar on a friday night at full capacity. But I think there are some things that we can do now and feel better about, particularly if you have already been vaccinated and the other people that you are with have already been vaccinated, um, especially if those activities are outside.
1: And I want to lift because the progress that Oklahoma has made in effectively getting more people vaccinated and getting that information to folks of where to go um, has been... um, a testament to our partnerships with our tribal nations. They have played an incredible role in helping to um, expand capacity to ensure that uh, tribal citizens, but also people who aren't tribal citizens, have the ability uh, to get the, the vaccines that they need to be able to avoid these trends that we're seeing with, with COVID-19. So kudos to um, not only just, you know, our, our state infrastructure, but also our partnerships with tribal nations who have been critical partners in making sure Oklahoma can continue um, this positive trend.
2: Yeah. The tribes are, tribes are killing it in terms of their logistics um, and they're being incredible. I mean, just incredible community partners for the rest of the public health infrastructure here in Oklahoma um, in the way that they're offering vaccines to um to everyone around them so um um thanks for being better than we are
0: well and i will say if you haven't already got your vaccine the for sure the chickasaw nation is basically offering it to anyone who's eligible um, um i believe America, the
1: Osage
2: Nation is doing that as well
0: osage too and I, maybe a couple others so regardless of your tribal status or lack thereof you can go to the tribes to get vaccinated and uh if you don't for some reason understand the irony of the tribes vaccinating the white people to save our society, please Google smallpox blankets <laughs> and you will be enlightened on the history of this situation and how this is incredibly ironic. The opposite. Um, yes, yes, opposites. That's exactly right. So, um, good news all the way around. Let's have some applause for the tribes and for vaccines. Um, all right. So, uh, oh, oh, also, Scott, on did you talk about how the state is reporting the data did i miss that
2: um no so and i don't we we're already there's so much to talk about um we won't get too deep into this but the the state is is uh, is no longer reporting coronavirus in the same way in their daily reports that they they were before the same information will be available um however it's going to be available on a weekly basis so you'll still be able to get this data but it's not going to be the the same updates that they were that the health department was releasing every single day
0: well, but I think they're releasing the data every day, but they're not putting it in like their briefing. They're going to put it on the website or whatever. And it's up to the reporters who have done a tremendous job. Dylan, Paul Monies, uh, Cassie McClung, all these folks, they will still be reporting it, which is at least for, I think, those of us that are recording right now, probably how we get the news, right? Like I rarely look at the health warrant website. I just wait for the reporters to tweet about it at like 1105. Uh, or at whatever point they get a chance to. Thanks, Catherine
1: to- Sweeney.
0: <laughs> Catherine Sweeney, yeah, a ton <laughs> of folks. Like, I, I will text Paul Moneys and be like, "Hey, are you still recording? You know, infection rates or vaccine rates based on zip code? Like some of the data that the state is not making—they're making available, but not easily findable to most folks—and um, and relying on our really great local journalists to do that work.
2: And we have some fantastic local journalists for sure.
0: We do. I, in particular, as I mentioned, find the zip code data interesting because I like to know how many cases are in my zip code. Like, how
2: close is it? How nervous do I need to be? I would like to know what percentage of our cases every day are from Broken Arrow alone.
0: <laughs> They've got a, they, you know, We talked about those on the show. They recommended people wear masks.
1: Highly recommend.
0: Like two mm-hmm. weeks ago, which is not at all a daylight and a dollar short.
3: In this That's game. communism in Broken Arrow. That's exactly right. All right. Well, uh, ladies
0: and gentlemen, Paul Shin is here today to discuss the earned income tax credit. uh, And we are going to talk, we'll probably mention some of the federal EITC because it's part of the discussion, particularly now since the most uh, recent COVID relief package from Congress. But more importantly, Paul, we're talking about the state level EITC. I'm going to turn it over to you Can you give us a a 30-second overview of what this program is and why we should care about it?
3: Sure. EITC uh, is to encourage low- and middle-income adults, particularly families with children, to work more. Uh, It started out so that we didn't tax people into minimum wage workers into poverty through the social security tax. So it's actually tied to the social security tax. Been in business in the federal government for uh, a little bit over 50 years now. State EITCs typically try to do the same thing by giving a percentage of whatever the federal is. So you don't have to do a lot of extra tax work for your state work. Oklahoma's is 5% of the federal. So, you know, the most you can get on the federal is around $6,000 if you have three kids. And that's the most you could get on this. the Oklahoma is around $300.
1: Can you so talk I, about, I, go
0: ahead. I was gonna say, I wanna just reiterate that cause I recently learned this. Um, as I, listeners may know, like I'm a community ambassador for OKCtaxhelp.org, which is a free resource funded by the Arnall Family Foundation uh, in partnership with the city of Oklahoma City to spread the word about the earned income tax credit and remind people who are eligible that you should definitely claim it. You have to file taxes to claim it. If you don't file, then you can't claim it. And an estimated 20% of people who are eligible don't claim it, even though they file and that they are literally leaving thousands of dollars on the table, right? So this is a big deal. Um, and I was working on a project uh, related to this for the state one. And I knew that it was, I had seen that it was like Oklahoma has one of the lower state EITCs. And I assumed in my ignorance that that meant we were you know, a couple of percentage points below most other states. Like I assumed, I read that ours was 5% of the federal and I thought, oh, well, probably like California's eight. But as it turns out, there are states where it's like 50%, 45%. And in fact, most, most states are notably higher, like way higher than what we are.
3: Yeah, there's one below us. I think it's Montana. I think we're tied with Louisiana, which to me is never a goal you should be trying to achieve. Uh, 100%. Most states are at 10. There is one state, South Carolina, is over 50, and they already have in law, that they're going to 125% of the federal. So, you know, ah. I told I talked about that $6,000 maximum. In Oklahoma, if we don't do something here, is always going to be the most anyone in Oklahoma ever sees. Someone in South Carolina is going to see $7,000, the same family.
2: So I just want to make something, and you've you've said this, but I want to make sure we say it in a specific way. Because one thing that we talk about in Oklahoma a lot, um, or that is talked about in Oklahoma a lot, is being a high tax state versus a low tax state. And when we say 5%, you're talking about the amount that someone can claim for the EITC at the state level is 5% of what they can claim at the federal level. Is that the the way to say it? And so what that means is in this case, the lower the number, the higher the effective rate of taxation, right? So because ours is only 5% of what they can claim at the federal level, then if you are someone who can claim the eitc you are being taxed more at the state level than you would otherwise be right so, so this is a case of actually a a this this number that's like you know oh we're one of the lowest in the country that means a an effective higher tax rate for people to whom this applies so this would actually make oklahoma one of the highest tax states in the country as it pertains to the eitc
3: We always say, Scott, that Oklahoma is a low-tax state unless you're a low-income Oklahoman. Uh, Someone who's in the bottom 20%, so that means they make maybe $22,000 or less, that's one-fifth of Oklahomans. They pay 13% of their income in uh, state and local taxes. Someone in the top 20% pays about 6% of their income. Now, obviously, if you're in the top 20, you're paying more dollars, but um, you know you have more dollars to start with, and you're paying a lesser share into uh, you know the state services that all of us depend on, not just low income people. And that's been a pattern that has gone on for about fifteen or twenty years as the legislature has cut state income, the top uh, level of the state income tax. Uh, every and every time we cut a tax or provide a tax incentive, it's up at the high end of the income scale. And then when we have to increase taxes, we do it in a way that hits low income people through the sales tax, the gas tax, the cigarette tax, um, (laughs) medical marijuana tax, it goes on and on and on. And there's, we used to be one of the, even 15, 20 years ago, our tax structure was one of the fairest state and local tax structures in our region, we are now Tied with Texas for least fair, and again, tied with Texas is not my career goal.
1: And Paul, there's a, a couple of issues at play with the EITC. So one of them is um, the value of the return for EITC in Oklahoma is among the lowest. So as we just explained, that Oklahomans are going to get a lower share of EITC whenever they file their taxes. But also, another challenge that the legislature created was the f- refundability aspect. Because if Oklahomans are, you know, doing what they got to do, working, and then they file their taxes, and then their tax liability is reached because of decisions the legislature made, they may not even be getting that money back. So, can you talk more about the history of how? The legislature lost refundability and how that even creates challenges um, in addition to the fact that the EITC is not adequate enough.
3: Sure. And let's start out by making sure we understand what refundability is because it's kind of complicated. But but let's say that um, I'm a a dad with a couple of kids and I make maybe $15,000 a year. Uh, I may end up at the federal and even the state level, not owing any taxes, um, because there's exemptions for my kids, there's standard deduction, I might itemize deductions, there are, there's a child credit, a child care credit, there's a um, grocery sales tax credit, I could get down to where I owe little or no uh, income tax. And the EITC is kind of the very last calculation there. So um, if I maybe have a $200 EITC coming, I'll only get the part that takes my total taxes down to zero. So if I'm already below zero, or maybe after all of that, I need to write a $100 check to the state, if my EITC is only $200, I'm going to get 100 of it. I'm not going to get the whole 200. And those people tend to be the ones with more children and low incomes and one earner. you know the people who are um amongst the the most vulnerable in our economy to start with so the federal one has always been refundable the oklahoma tax also was refundable up until 2016 um and it was the legislate one of their legislatures early moves to increase revenue when um the uh, after cutting oil and gas taxes way too far they needed to scramble to try to keep some teachers and things like that and the eitc was uh was what they chose to do and really a mistake and so that's affected about 200,000 oklahoma households that's really one out of ten taxpayers lost money due to refundability they lost on average about a hundred bucks which may not seem a lot but it's really important to remember with the eitc that's money that comes back to you all in a lump sum And it's not money that you already paid to your landlord or to your grocery store or something like that. So people use that, you know, for tires in their car, to pay their court fines, to get caught up with their daycare. Um, And that means not only that it is returned to 200,000 Oklahomans, it means it's returned to 77 counties and 500 cities because people go out and they spend that money in their community.
2: So... Paul, you know, you talk about how many people this affects. Um, it's in every county. It's in every city. So it seems like restoring the refundability of EICC would be something that would have broad and bipartisan appeal. This is not something that is like only going to affect, you know, uh, legislators from blue districts. It's not, you know, it's not something that's limited to like the urban areas. This go, This goes all over the state. So you would expect that you could put together a coalition for this, and every year – um, I know that it's been, I mean, I know that the Dems have said it's a priority for every year for the last, I don't know how many years. I have heard Republicans say, oh, we really want to get, we really want to get EITC done re- we know that's something we need to do. Um, it's been, I don't know what, like 10 years and it hasn't happened yet. So what's the, what's the holdup? Why has this, well, why, why haven't we done this yet?
3: In the regular world and way back in the Wayback Machine, it was bipartisan. And a matter of fact, it was under uh, Republican President Richard Nixon's uh, watch in which the federal one was passed, and it was in uh, Republican President Ronald Reagan's watch in which the federal one was gigantically improved. And I told you, South Carolina has a bigger one than we do. Many very Republican states do. Um, We came on and and it's been bipartisan in Oklahoma up until 2016, really 2018, I guess. We came off the rails uh, in the discussion of what turned out to be a half a billion dollars of tax increases uh, in 2018 because the Democrats wanted uh, earned income tax refundability, they wanted it back very badly. Uh, And in the negotiations, the Republicans felt like uh, the Democrats broke faith in a big way. Um, And if you talk to any member of either party uh, since that day, the EITC has been all about what the repubs think the Dems did two years ago, two, three years ago. And well, you know, term limits might get us to where we're someday we're past that, but we're a long ways from being
1: past it. So it became a political football basically.
3: Absolutely. and absolutely personal. and really it's I think it's personal largely between people who are no longer in the legislature, but that um, you know those battle lines are drawn. Well, so what's I mean
2: what's the argument because like I mean, this is this is tax relief. Right. I mean, effectively, if you increase, if you make the EITC, the EITC refundable and you increase the percentage of the federal EITC that can that can be claimed for the people in that bracket, that's tax relief. Why is why is that not a like slam dunk We're a Republican state? I'm a I'm a conservative Republican legislature. I live and breathe to cut taxes. What's what's the holdup?
3: Well, you know, I think there's a lot of things, Scott, and they don't affect only the EITC. Uh, People who will benefit from it are underrepresented. Um, They... uh are low income, you know, two jobs, two kids. Uh, they tend to be uh, very, very many of them are single moms. Uh, very many of them are people of color. They're not the people that walk the halls of the legislature, and they can't hire someone to walk the halls of the legislature for them. There are other arguments about uh, whether the EITC does or doesn't encourage work. Um, I've heard Republican members say, um, My wife does taxes for people and they want to know when they can, you know, how big their EITC is so they'll know when to stop working. Which is, I mean, that's just wrong, but that's a story out there. Um, And then, you know, sometimes the EITC is just too expensive. Although you know um, we very the loss of revenue is too much, although it's rarely as much as we give in other tax credits for specific industries.
2: Uh, Paul, I don't know if you know this, I just want to correct you there. Uh, Tax cuts don't cost money. (laughs) Uh, I just uh, think it's important. I think it's important we point out there that uh, that only only spending costs money. Tax cuts, tax cuts are free.
1: Well, and Paul, I
3: want. Go ahead, Baylams. No, no, no. You go.
1: You finish your thing. I was
3: just going to say that's why Oklahoma is Oklahoma's economy is just booming, and we're so well off after twenty years of cutting everyone's high income
1: taxes. I mean, everybody's coming to Oklahoma, right? Even Tesla, yep. right?
0: Uh- <laughs> <laughs> Can I just a quick thing because we didn't address this last week, but there was a news story about that whole Tesla deal, where the governor made a big deal about meeting with Elon Musk, and the readout from that. Was basically that he said, you know, can we meet? And Musk said, out of courtesy, yes. But I'm moving to Austin, and he said, the issue is not tax cuts. The issue is getting Californians to move out of California, and I can barely get them to go to Austin. And and, and Austin's like,
1: the most liberal city. Well, it's and the most I'm, livable in our region. Yeah, I'm from Austin.
0: Like it's a cool place. Uh, and Oklahoma City is not Austin, and I know that we want to like keep Guthrie weird and and be a cool place, but it's it's just not going to happen. And we got to quit trying to be somebody else.
1: Absolutely.
2: I would also point out having lived in San Antonio, which is uh, about forty five to sixty minutes south of Austin. Um, I mean, Austin's great. I love I love me some brisket. I love me some breakfast tacos. I love me some south great music. Southwest. Yeah, South by Southwest. I I love I love me some Austin. But it is hot, like it is hot.
1: There, if, you
2: used, if you were used to San Francisco and you move to Austin, yeah. you are going to have a you are going to have a a serious awakening when it comes to climate. Right. Well,
0: that's the deal, right? Oklahoma City is also hot, right? And so we have all all of that to offer
1: until when it's cold and freezing and Except negative temperatures, freezing, and right. then when there's tornadoes,
0: <laughs> or it's crazy windy, right? Or it happens in the same two days. So we have all of that, but we don't have we don't have a river walk. We got a canal. We don't have a uh, Sixth Street, but we've got something, twenty-third. It, like it's there are trade-offs and we are super cool in lots of ways, but we somebody get uh, get Pennell on this, right? Like we got cool thing we got a fishing trail. Why aren't we talking about something about livability that is not cost of living? Because that is a a mistake.
1: Well, and I want to connect the dots and what we're talking about to where we're going with the EITC conversation because the root of the ideas of we're going to cut the corporate income tax is to try to be appealing in the way that Andy, to your point, that we're trying to pick these ideas that other places may have that we think will attract other people and clearly isn't that silver bullet that's going to bring people to Oklahoma. One thing that's been talked about in this um, season for um, the revenue that we're bringing in, so the um, entity that tells us, you know, what our revenue projections are going to be like, told us that, oh, we we have more money than than we thought, and the legislatures go to is like, let's cut taxes. Uh, (laughs) But to the point that Scott had just raised, that there's potential to do tax relief that's going to help oklahomans and stimulate the economy through the EITC. So Paul, can you talk about how the EITC would be the best fit if we are going to have conversations about tax relief this session, but also um why EITC is the most affordable option as well because when you're weighing it out against the other things, it really isn't that big of a price tag.
3: It is. Um, Bailey, you mentioned House Bill 2083, which would over five years eliminate the uh, state corporate income tax. Cost of that is um, more than 10 times. I think it works out to about 14 times what the cost of putting back EITC refundability would be. That hurts our economy. You know, right now, all that money that we get from the corporate income tax Is spent in our state um, largely for good middle class jobs like teachers and highway patrol officers and corrections officers and social workers. Uh, If we cut that tax, it doesn't miraculously stay in Oklahoma. It goes to the corporation, the large multinational corporations. Uh, Their stockholders will get some. Guess what? We have less than one half a percent of the stock of the US stockholders in Oklahoma their employees will get some but you know they're not a, not a ton of target employees in Oklahoma or apple employees or you know as compared to the rest of the world so what we'll be doing is economic development more for California and China than for the than for Oklahoma we'll uh, also go ahead Andy
0: I'll say a tax cut for California or a tax cut for China is a hell of a marketing campaign to not expand this right like
3: <laughs> I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) The other thing is, we hurt Oklahoma based businesses because the, um, you know, out of the 600,000 or so businesses that do business in Oklahoma, um, only about 15,000, 20,000 of them are large corporations that pay the corporate income tax. The rest pay, uh, you know, they're, dentist office, um, small restaurants, sole proprietorships, partnerships, things like that. They pay uh, uh, personal income tax, individual income tax on their profits, that's at 5%. Right now, You know, if I've got a small restaurant, I'm paying 5% on my profits. The Chili's down the street is a large corporation, it's paying 6%. If we cut their taxes, they're gonna be paying 0%. While I'm paying five and I you know that does not build business Um, It does not help us in any way So back to your question. It was how does the EITC? uh, Benefit. How is that economic development? Um, Several ways in the short term as I said, it's spending in the economy in the long term um Health is better. Adult and child health is better in families that get the EITC. Nutrition is better. School outcomes are better. There's some decent research suggesting that adult incomes are better for kids who grew up within the EITC. So it's not just right now that money gets stays in Oklahoma, it gets spent in Oklahoma, all of it in the space of two or three months in the spring in every community, but also it's building, you know, Oklahomans who are going to be more ready and, and more capable of, of, you know, enjoying the benefits of being Americans and Oklahomans out into the future.
1: And we need that now more than ever after this pandemic.
3: Yeah, I mean if, if 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 we had some way of looking household by household at at people who would see an EITC refund compared to you know comparing their experience of the pandemic as compared to say mine, I mean you would see such a huge overlap that you'd say why didn't we already think of this.
2: You know, it's it's um, in in housing I'm I'm by no means an expert and really anything, but, um, there, you know, in, in, housing policy was the answer I was going to, was the, the example I was going to use, but there's been, I feel like a movement in housing policy recently to say that, like, you know, it seems more, and more clear that the answer to homelessness is to give people places to live. Right. And the answer to like there's the answer to homelessness is to give people homes and give them a place to live. I mean, it seems like this is a, a similar thing, right? The, the way to help people who are struggling financially um, is to give them money, <laughs>
3: right? Like, like that's- The solution to child poverty is give mom and dad money. Um, and, you know, that's been talked a lot about um, a lot uh, in, in connection uh, with the latest cares or er, 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 uh, COVID relief bill. It's believed that that additional um, credit tax credit, U S tax credit for families with children is going to cut child poverty in half in the coming year. If we know how to do that at the federal level and the state level, how are we not criminals for not doing it?
1: Well, and I will say that it's it's also a twofold, right? It's We're helping families, but we're also able to boost the economy and help the economic downturn because those folks are able to use those dollars to reinvest in communities they're able to keep those small businesses open they're able to buy the things that they need and even help boost our our, our sales tax revenue right because they're able to buy in an areas and so not only it's it's a win-win on both sides of the coin like we can help people and help the economy at the same time
2: yeah, I mean, and I, you know, I, I'm i not smart enough to do this kind of analysis, but like you could do an analysis and look at like what the multiplier effect of this, right, is and see if you give... All of these families, you know, I mean, I, mean, I wish it was more than 300 bucks, but 300 bucks, um, you know, by restoring the refundability of the ITC versus a bigger tax cut that is targeted to a much smaller group of people. I mean, I don't I don't know this. Maybe I'm wrong, but I would guess that the economic multiplier of those, you know, 250,000 people spending their three hundred dollars um, in the economy in the next two to three months is going to be bigger and better than an investor or a business owner taking their tax cut, pocketing part of it, and then hiring an additional 10 employees. Right. (laughs) Um, you know, if, if that's even what they did and even if they did it in Oklahoma, like the, the cost benefit just seems, you know, people talk about the, the, uh, american uh rescue plan that the the new covid re- the new covid relief plan it's 1.9 trillion dollars it's like man that's a lot of money like do we need to borrow that money or borrow that money from china is that a good idea hell yeah it's a good idea right if you was if you assume that the vast majority of that 1.9 trillion dollars is going to be spent then yeah as long as inflation doesn't get out of control which apparently most people that have phds in economics don't think it will then yeah That's a great idea because you're going to generate that revenue back. You'll see GDP like shoot through the roof, right? Like it just, it, I mean, I know that it's like, I know that it's, you know, socialism or whatever, but like giving people money that need money makes sense.
3: Well, Scott, you probably ought to get an honorary PhD in economics be, uh, from this because I did, you know, I have read a couple studies over the last two, two months that say exactly that, that, um, you know, if the trade-off is does government spend the money or does government give the money in tax cuts to high income people? The highest possible motivator or multiplier is if you raise taxes on high income people and use it to spend on basic public services like Medicaid and education and roads. Um, And so the revert, I'm not an economist, but I would think the reverse of that is true as well, that the worse that you get a negative multiplier if you give tax cuts to high income people and you reduce those basic services.
0: Yeah, because, I mean, Scott said it well, giving p- money to people who need money is a good idea because they can then spend the money, right? People can't spend money they don't have. And if you, uh, this is uh, probably socialism or at least some kind of Robin Hoodian approach, but to redistribute money from people who will never be able to spend all their money to people who cannot pay their bills seems like a common sense solution to lots of problems, right? Right. Um, that that, money that Robin
3: Hood model worked really, really well to make the United States by far the richest and and really most equal country in the world between, say, 1920 when we started the federal income tax and 1980 when we decided the federal income tax was a bad idea.
0: That's right. The The income tax rate, the... the um whatever it's called, the marginal tax rate for high incomes used to be way higher,
2: right? It was about 90% that, in the 60s.
0: Yeah. And that led to several things. One, we put a goddamn man on the moon. Secondly, we um, had like a, uh, a society that while was very unequal in lots of ways, um, is regarded by those who would lived in the uh, area of privilege as one of the most successful and productive periods in time. Right. And so imagine making some like very substantial movements towards equality in race and gender and all those areas, right? That we've made over the last few years. Couple that with passage of, you know, the For the People Act, the John Rights or the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, some of those things, and sound economic policy that benefits the people that need it most. Like America would be hitting on all cylinders. And maybe once again, could be, you know, the leader in some things aside from like incarceration and the number of people who believe in angels.
1: Because people keep talking about equity, right? How, how, how do we address the problems that we're facing in the world? And the root of it is the very things that we're talking about. And so this is an economic justice conversation. This is a racial justice conversation, right? Uh, to get us to those places to help more people thrive and and give people more opportunity in this economy. And so it just makes me laugh often when people are scratching their heads and thinking about some of these marginal things of, you know, maybe if we add a couple of brown faces to this board, or maybe if we did this, but the reality is rooted in the very thing that we're talking about. If we're um, putting more resources into people's hands so that they can Uh, do the things that they need to do to to reach that, I hate saying that, but that American dream aspect that people always talk about, like you can't get there without resources. Like we can't financial literacy our way out of the challenges of our world. And so I just wanted to lift that lens of the conversation that when we're talking about putting more money into people's pockets so that they can spend into the economy, we're talking about economic justice and racial justice
2: and you know it's a lot easier although i mean i will say two things you know one um <laughs> it's uh uh some of the most financially literate people i know are the people who have the least amount of money because they got to count every dollar that they have so you know these these guys that talk about oh well, they just have to learn how to manage their money better <laughs> um you know how to manage your money really freaking well when you don't have any
1: Making a dollar out of 15 cents. That's that's a real phrase.
2: Right? Because you gotta like you gotta you gotta triage a lot, right? But um you also well, you gotta build your savings and you get you can't build your savings or invest or start a business, or whatever, when you don't have any friggin' money, right? Like st- you know, star like this whole idea of like financial literacy as it's talked about by elites who are in the upper income brackets. You know what? I mean people
1: should I'm, eat healthy they don't have money to buy nutritious mm-hmm.
3: foods. <laughs> or a place to get nutritious food.
2: I was a, I, when I was a, when I was a medical student, right. I was a medical student and my wife was in grad school and we were living on like whatever part-time jobs we could have while we were doing that. And student loans Then I graduated and she got a job and now I had an income and she had an income budgeting, got a whole lot, budgeting, got budgeting got a lot easier once we had more money, you know, like it's a lot easier but budget sticking to a budget or budgeting or whatever gets a whole lot easier when you have more funds, when you have more cushion, right? So, like, um, anyway, I'm with you, Bailey. I don't have any time for this business about like they just, oh, they got a you know financial literacy their way to million dollar mansions. Like, get out of here.
3: Or well, they all need to work at seven dollars and 25 cents an hour, all they need is to get a job. Um, you know, well, that's only like three and a half bucks an hour below poverty. And it's only like a third of what it takes to actually support a family, but they need to go out there and I don't know, get five jobs, 40 hours, 25.
2: They do. People are like, well, they need to work. They do. They all work. (laughs) They do work.
0: (laughs) Right. It is a, if uh, listeners, if you are deciding between putting money in your vacation fund or in your retirement fund, Recognize, I think that that is a very different decision than if you were paying the electric bill or the water bill, um, because you had to heat your home and drip your faucets in the past month, right? Like these are very different conversations, and so
1: Andy and feel- I do want to lift on that. Um, sometimes it's it's a privilege to have options, and so I'm so glad that you lifted that. One thing that's been irritating me so much is people having conversations about, oh, you got your stimulus check. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to buy a book to enrich yourself so you can make more money? Are you going to invest it in this and that? There are people who are using that because they're three months behind rent, right? There are people who are going to be using that money to stock up their fridge because they've been eating ramen noodles for a week, right? Uh, There are people who have been driving on a donut for way too long or their tires are going to pop any second and they need to get. Those updates to their vehicle so that they can get to work safely, right? And so these are people who um, are neighbors who are facing real challenges. They're not people who are just, yay, we got extra money to blow to go on vacations. Like there, are, there may be, you know, anecdotes of those, but the reality is there's so many people who need those resources. And so when we do things like expand the EITC, and then make it refundable again, we have the opportunity to help folks who are are struggling in these seasons.
2: And I will also say, Bailey, I would 100% agree with everything you said, but when there are people, and there will be people who use their 14, for whatever reason, maybe their job was stable through the pandemic, they didn't see their income drop, whatever their circumstances are, there are people who will get a stimulus check and maybe they use it to go on vacation, or maybe they use it to upgrade their television, or maybe they use it to, you know, get a new couch or a new something that they've kind of had their eye on and but didn't quite have the funds for. That is also 100% okay, right? Like... No one has to like, I mean, in my opinion, like you don't have to, you don't have to justify taking a vacation, right? Like no it's one gets going to back like, into the economy, right? Like no one gets to tell like, this is, you know, we all contrary to popular opinion in some way, shape or form. We all pay taxes. This is our money. If you get a stimulus check, that's your money. It's not the government's money. That's your money that they're giving back to you and you spend it however you want to.
3: Yeah, a lot of the time we say that we love capitalism, but we don't always love it when someone else makes choices about how to spend their money.
1: That's it. That's that's exactly it.
0: Well, that's a good, this is a good point to end on, right? We've all got some fodder to think about, reflect on, stew on this weekend. How do I spend my money? This was a good episode. i this. Is, we're finally getting our mojo back. It's been a year of quarantine and doing uh remote podcasts, and finally we're like, Hey, all right, we can crack some jokes and um have some witty banter. So, uh, Paul Shen, thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed chatting with y'all. You're welcome anytime. Anytime you can be our uh,
3: don't ever say that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, Scott, thanks for
2: being here. I wouldn't miss it except when I do.
0: Shout out to uh, the the pod dog juno i just saw stick her head in the background there on your screen she did you remember back in the day Scott, when we started this podcast in upper room studios in your extra bedroom upstairs oh yeah and that we would hear the the little ticky tack of juno's nails on the wood floor
2: clickety clack clickety clack clickety clack those were the days (laughs) Haley, thank
0: you for being here as well
1: always thank you andy
0: listeners thank you for being here as well this has been another episode of let's pod this the best Oklahoma politics podcast that I listen to every week. Uh, also, still the highest rated, I'll say. There's some other good ones out there. We're still the highest rated. Uh, so, thanks for being here. Tell your friends, um, pay your taxes, spend your stimulus however you want. And remember, decisions are made by those who show up. Have a great week.